you're observant, but you okay. haven't figured out the, the dynamic yep, yet as to what's going on. Is it time? Yep, yep. It is time. Okay, so much for that. <coughs> Heth, tent wall, outside, divide, one half. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered many ways, or my ways. I have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. In midnight, at midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord, teach me your decrees. Get up at midnight. I wonder what else you might be getting up for. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. It is December 15th. The grace of God was truly a sweet sound in the ears of John Newton. The life of John Newton consisted of many different seasons. His journey took him from the decks of slave ships in the 1740s to the pulpit in 1764. By his own admission, Newton's admiration of his wife approached levels of idolatry. He was passionately in love with her, an emotion that did not dim with the passing of the years. Consequently, as it became apparent that his wife's days were coming to a close, Newton's friends were concerned over what effect her death would have on him. As his wife's health continued to deteriorate, John found his mind preoccupied with her well-being. I have been watching with much feeling and too much anxiety my failing gourd, upon which a worm by the divine appointment has been long praying. Newton related his last communication with his wife on Sunday, December 12, 1790. When I was preparing for church in the morning, she sent for me and we took a final farewell as to this world. She faintly uttered an endearing compilation which was familiar to her, and gave me her hand, which I held while I prayed by her bedside. We exchanged a few tears, but I was almost unable to speak as she was. That same evening, Miss Newton lost her faculties of speech, sight, and hearing. One of Newton's chief concerns as his wife's health failed was his own ability to model the truths he had spent so many years preaching from the pulpit. <clears throat> he had long emphasized the gospel's message of comfort to those who are afflicted. He had preached a God who was the foundation of truth, the comforter of all who suffer, and the source of strength and help to all who desire to be assisted. Now, the author of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, came to realize that he had to admit his need for God's grace in a time of his own great need. In his memoirs, he relates the result of this understanding. From the, <clears throat> from the time that I so remarkably felt myself Willing to be helped, I might truly say to the praise of the Lord, my heart trusted in him, and I was helped indeed. It was only three days from the time his wife lost her ability to communicate that she drew her last breath. John faithfully by her side, holding a candle by which he watched his beloved wife expire on December 15, 1790. He immediately knelt and thanked the Lord for her peaceful deliverance. With the help of the Lord, John Newton did not spend the days after his wife's departure mourning alone in his home. He preached three times before his wife was buried and preached at her funeral as well. With tears streaming down his cheeks, 
Five years later, <clears throat> on the anniversary of her death, Newton reflected on his marriage and the passing of his wife in a poem. Then let me change my sighs to praise for all that he has done and yield my few remaining days to him and him alone. I hope to join her soon again on yonder happy shore where neither sorrow, sin, nor pain shall ever reach us more. God's grace was truly a sweet sound in the ears of John Newton. They ask, whom do you love most in this world? Do you think you can trust God for his comfort if that person dies before you do? Will you meet again in heaven? In Matthew 5, 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. <clears throat> Good stuff there. For sure. Yeah, uh, what he said there about his uh, wondering if uh, all the preaching he had done was... Uh, uh, pertinent to him as well. I go through that in my mind all the time. I tell people things in the pulpit and Bible studies and I often have to ask myself, am I living by my own advice that I'm giving to people? So I understand that completely. Um, I said this last weekend, but I'll say it again. Uh, uh, anybody in Sarasota, if you have a recliner, can be old, used up, whatever, and uh, also a dresser. I don't think we got either one of those in the last week, but they're needed in the twin projects. Beds. They what? Twin beds. Twin beds too? Okay, we need twin beds. All right, and then... Um, I gave Chris two twin beds two weeks ago. Okay, she probably found a home for him. Yeah. She's pretty good about that. Yeah. And I have uh, very sad news. Wayne Gibbius, his daughter, Amber, 37, died, and he's asking for prayer. I guess just that's got to be just one of the most, I think she's just a year older than Tangie, and uh, it, it, that's just got to be miserable. That's got to be miserable. Um, and one more thing, I mentioned this in church a week ago, and then uh, I forgot, I think, last Bible study, or maybe it was last week I said this. Somebody sent me a uh, postal money order for $100, and uh, it's to the Superior Word Church, and we do not have a bank account in the Superior Word Church, and so I cannot cash this, and they did not put a name on the envelope, so um, I want to send it back so they can get their money back. Um, we have never worked by uh, uh, donations of any type. All we do is take gifts to an individual, and uh, at the church, that's just how it runs, because we don't want the government interfering in what we can and cannot say. So we don't, we pay our property taxes even though we're not required to and we don't monetize videos. That's uh, just how we run. And so uh, I wanna thank the person that wrote this. I believe it's a female. It's a very nice handwriting. It almost looks Asian to me, but I can't cash this. And the area is from Kingsford, Michigan. So if you sent that, it's very much appreciated, but um, I, I can't do anything with it because we don't have a church bank account. So just so you know, and um, if you want some fun, it's not, it's kind of long. We thought it might be a little shorter, but uh, we did a live stream video from the house today. Um, uh, there was some hurricane damage in the um, uh, pine tree by the house. And I, you, if you saw the video Sergio did, you saw a tree all over our property and all that was cleaned up, but there was one giant branch that was broken and over the house. And so, uh, I could not cut that personally. It's one of the few th jobs I would not have chosen to do. And uh, so I hired a guy and I did a live stream of it. So if you want to watch that, it's kind of fun. And uh, the guy, when he was done, he was looking almost rattled. And he said, you know, I always try to gauge my jobs on a one to 10 for difficulty. He said that was definitely a 10. It was a very, very dangerous job, but he did a marvelous job of it. 
nothing was damaged. I mean, literally, he, he got everything. Uh, they had pulleys hooked up to other trees, and then they would have the ropes and two guys with ropes here, and everything went so nicely. I was so thankful because he could have really gotten damaged or whatever he was, uh, he personally. He was a floor above yeah. your roof. He was a floor above my roof. So actually, he was uh, about two and a half stories up. And right. uh, but There's no I, way I'm watching that. Oh no! It was great. It was a great video. But I, I uh, did. I did take the camera and I panned it over to where I said that up at the top of the two second story, which means it's three stories up. That's where I fell from, and I showed. So if you want to see where I fell from in Hurricane Irma, um, it, it's a long drop down. And uh, anyway, so just so you know, there's a live stream out there on that if you want to go and watch it. It's on the Superior Word web channel. Uh, yeah, I landed on my head, and so I've been damaged since. No, actually, uh, He's had uh, his brain transplanted. yeah, yeah I had so my brain transplanted last week, and so everything is working fine again. But yeah, that when I fell off that roof, I literally landed on my feet. And had that not happened, I probably wouldn't be here today. But it was a good, good adventure on the way down, and then it just abruptly ended, surprisingly. So, so okay, I, I drove up right after that happened. Oh, that's right. Right, and I'm like there, like going, like, hey, you okay with you know the problems and stuff? And you're going, oh yeah. I just fell off the roof, and I'm like going, like, what? It's like, which roof? No, there's no way you just fell off the roof. Really? Yeah. And literally did like a cat. Yeah, I just fell right down and landed on my feet. What did you tell me? I don't remember. Don't tell Hidako. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't don't tell Hidako. But, yeah, the only thing that kind of threw me off and so I was damaged for a while is a branch was up on the ground, and it grabbed me here. And so it kind of threw me off onto this foot. And so this ankle and this knee and this hip were in pain for about a month. I, it, it, and it could have been a lot worse because four feet away, maybe not even four feet away, I had a whole pile of coconuts. And if I landed on those, I would have broken both legs. I would have just, yeah. it would have been gross. But it, the Lord was very good to me. Okay, we got to get into class and forget about yes. danger. Um, uh, we're in uh, verse 3, 6 today. Colossians verse 3, uh, 6. And okay. so... If you um... pull back to five, I right, might as well just start at the beginning of the chapter since it's short. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Mm. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. <coughs> Six, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That's it. So that was all six? Mm, I, I jumped over to seven. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, I was you know, say... All six is because of these... The wrath of God is coming. Okay, and, and even that is, it reads wrong anyway. This one says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so I knew something was wrong, even though you went to seven, I, I knew there was still something missing. So uh, that translation is completely different than this, or at least the second half of it is. Anyway, um, let's see here. Paul wrote <clears throat> of the wrath of God in Romans 1, explaining what brings it about. The things he mentions in verse 2 are a part of that process. It is because of participating in these things that the world is judged. And this judgment follows two distinct lines. 
The first is judgment in this world through. And just think of this now. This is the wrath of God. He's angry at the things that we're doing. And this is a type of judgment that comes upon us in this world. Diseases, conflicts, which lead to physical harm or death and the like. Okay? These are a result of our doing things we shouldn't be doing, and it's happening in this life. Some of them are actually self-inflicted, if you think about it. Like there are certain diseases that certain people, if I say it on YouTube, they'll certainly uh, shut me down, but certain groups of people get diseases that other people do not. The only way that another group of people is going to get those is if they get a blood transfer from them or something. But this is the type of thing that is judgment upon the world for the things we do. Okay. Um, the second judgment is that of being cast for all eternity from the presence of God. The lake of fire is the ultimate end for all the sons of disobedience. Paul's words, the sons of disobedience. As unpopular as that is to hear about, that is what the Bible says, is that there, we are either reconciled to God through... You know, I was listening to Hedico. I came home yesterday morning, and I was at the mall, and I came home, and she was listening to a sermon on... I want to say, uh, um, oh, what's the uh, one, Moody Radio, and I think it was, um, uh, it, it wasn't Lutzer, it was Chuck Swindoll, I believe. The voice is a little different than what I remember, but we're all getting a little older, too. Yep. So I think it was Chuck Swindoll, and he did, uh, you know, just, it was more, a, a, it wasn't life application, but it wasn't really an in-depth analysis, but he did a good job on it. It was on, I am the way, the life, and the truth. Okay, and he gave some very good examples on this. And basically, when he did the I am the way, he made it very clear. I, there's no doubt that this person understands that there is one way to be reconciled to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. Okay, I uh, was working at the same time, so I didn't get all the, the meat out of it that I probably should have. But uh, he did a very good job on that first part. I didn't listen to the rest because I just had a lot of work to do. But um, I am the way, and he made it clear in his presentation, and he even gave a very good example. Um, I, I, I don't want to misquote his example, but I'll give you uh, kind of what he said. He said something like, um, you can uh, tell somebody that's flying into L.A., well, I will uh, give you a map, and that'll show you how to get there. Or I will meet you at the airport and I will uh, direct you there and I'll get you a cab to get you there. He gave several different examples and he said, these are all ways of getting to where you need to go. And he says, or you can say, I will take you to where you are going. But when I do, I am going to take you all around LA. I'm going to take you over the whole city. I'm going to show you every single thing that you could possibly want to see. I want you to have a good day, and I will get you to your meeting by the time you need to be there this evening. But you must trust me. And he said, that guy is now the way. For, if he accepts that, then he is the way that he is going to get this. There is no other way because he is locked into this agreement here. And so he takes them all over, and he takes them down different avenues and different paths of life or whatever, and eventually he gets him to exactly where he said he was going to get him at the right time. Okay, it was a good analogy that Jesus is saying that I am the means of getting back to the Father. I am the one that will make that happen, and you just need to trust me. Okay, it wasn't a perfect example, but you get the point there. Is that this person has now yielded himself to another person to lead him along the path of we'll just call it life, and and uh, but there is no other path. 
If you go any other way, you're on your own, and the chances are you're not going to get it. With Jesus, you are not going to get it, okay? Uh, but uh, the point is that when he was done with his talk about the way, you had no doubt that there is one way to be reconciled to God, and there is no other. And that's what Jesus is. He is the person that died for our sins. There's no other way to get rid of our sins. There's no other plan out there in any religion that will say your sins are now removed in a process that would be acceptable to a perfectly holy God. There are religions that claim that they take care of sin problems, okay? Like um, uh, the Aztecs, I believe, or you know, the Incas, one of these groups used to take a virgin up on top of a pyramid and they'd uh, kill her and they'd take out her heart and they'd appease the gods, right? And they're saying that this is an innocent person and because she's innocent, her blood is atoning for the sins and it's also uh, making it where God will be happy and give us the rains that we need and all that kind of nonsense. Well, the fact is, that that person already has sin in her. Doesn't matter if she's a virgin. It doesn't matter if she's three years old. Those things don't matter. What matters is that she inherited, according to Psalm 51.5 and Romans chapter 5, I believe it is, um, she's inherited Adam's sin. Death spread to all men because all sinned, okay? The point is that we have original sin. So that doing what they did with that girl does not resolve the sin problem. It only exacerbates it because now you've taken a human life without any just cause. Okay, so you've only made more sense. You haven't taken care of anything. Jesus is the one that makes reconciliation completely possible. And there is no other acceptable way of being reconciled to God. That was the point he was making and that is the point that uh, we need to remember. Okay, so as I said, Go back and read that last sentence again, the uh, second last two sentences. The first is judgment in this world, diseases and all that kind of stuff. That's judgment that comes uh, when God says to Israel, I am going to exile you if you don't behave. And I'm going to send you out to the furthest parts of the world. That is earthly judgment. That is Israel being judged in this earth. And along with that comes the judgment of, you know, they're living in slums and they get diseases and all the things that he said is going to come upon them, comes upon them. And the same thing happens with the nations of the world as well. As a matter of fact, uh, he even in the Old Testament addresses, I think it's Ezekiel where he says, you know, if a nation turns away from me, I will judge it. But if that nation humbles itself and comes back, I will not judge it, or I will hold my judgment from them, or however he says it. And, and so he's clear that I'm not just judging Israel. I am judging the nations, okay? Um, that's not the verse from, what is it, 2 Samuel 7:14 that people always misquote and say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and then I will heal their land. That's speaking to Israel about Israel, okay? That's not speaking about the United States of America or anything like that. Um, so, uh, but he does say this in, I believe it's Ezekiel, where he talks about judging nations. It might be Jeremiah as well. Anyway, um, so uh, the second judgment is that of being cast for all eternity away from the presence of God. The lake of fire is the ultimate end for all the sons of disobedience. Well, it's either our default position, and this is why another thing that I, I like to mention once in a while, because people new will come on a, a Bible study and they won't have heard this, and then they'll email me, what, what about the person that's never heard of Jesus? And the person that's never heard of Jesus, it really doesn't matter, because that person is already the default position, just like when you turn on a, a computer and it does certain things, and it goes to that every single time, that's default. 
the default position is when a baby is born into the world, that person is condemned already. Jesus says it in John 3, 18. Okay, that's our default position. So it doesn't matter if a person has heard of Jesus or not. Their fate is already sealed. What matters is us telling them about Jesus. That's why we are to be responsible with our time and speak and open our mouth and tell people, this is your choice. I'm giving you the news that will change this life and it will get them out of what they are in. Okay, this is what's so important about this. And uh, so it's either Jesus or it is ultimately the lake of fire. And there's no other way to be reconciled to God. So remember that, okay? There are no outs, there are no exceptions. God has set the parameters and the parameters are stated in scripture. If we're not gonna get our theology from scripture, somebody posted something about kind of this issue. I won't, don't wanna talk about it now because it'll be a, a big red herring during the class, but uh, uh, they posted something on Twitter, which I thought was kind of a, a interesting place to uh, post yeah. a, a, a theological question. But of course, every single answer that I read was emotion. Every one of them, there was nothing based on scripture. And all this person did was ask the question and always getting his very bad theology all the way down. There was nothing on scripture. And so finally I decided I'm just gonna make a comment. I'll be done with it, I'm, you know, whatever. But I said, um, uh, this is what's taught here. This is what's taught here. And I said, this is uh, a provision that God has given here. And I said, thank God for his grace in this particular issue because other than that, there is no hope. And uh, uh, this is what the Bible tells us, is that man is condemned already. Go wow, read that it. That was pretty judgmental. Uh, I know, you know. And I said, I said, when you are evaluating a question like this, you must remove emotion. Right. An opinion. The, an opinion. A lot of people are just saying, well, I think, and I think, and oh, yes. And then without any support of any type at all, they just, they throw something out there. It was... It has nothing to do with anything except what's going on up here, which I guarantee you, based on the answer, is very, very convoluted. Okay, there's not a lot of critical thinking about, oh, I'm speaking for God in this. How are you doing tonight? How are you? Great, thank you. So, as an apostle, Paul is showing us the importance of setting our minds on the things above. That was his words there. He says... Um, uh, where was that? We're in verse uh, six. Okay, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Oh, he doesn't say that there. He says it earlier. Okay, uh, things above. And um, a, the importance of setting our mind on things above, living lives that are holy and leading others who have not yet called on Christ to do so. Okay, this is what we are to do. We're to tell people about Jesus. We're to openly do this because if not, then they are in the wrong boat and they're going down the wrong river to the wrong place. It's our responsibility. Uh, without him, meaning Jesus, there is but one ultimate end for the souls of men. That's what the Bible teaches. As you said, very judgmental, I know, but uh, I, I'm not the one that authored this book. I believe this book and I believe that this book is telling us the truth. And so I don't need to uh, put in my own presuppositions. I don't need to put in my own emotions or biases. I just simply read what the book says. And if that's what God says is the way it is, then I either have to accept it or say, well, I'm just not gonna follow this God, but I will go to the end of my life following Jesus because he is the answer to the problem we have. So without him, there is but one ultimate end for the souls of man. We can either be a son of God through adoption, as Paul says, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter six, 
the sons of God, the Bene Elohim, are introduced there, and then they're brought up again in uh, Job <coughs> chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 2, verse 1, and that's not speaking about angels, okay? That is speaking about human beings, okay, that are a part of what God is doing. Then all the way throughout the Bible, the term son of God is always speaking about people in a right redemptive uh, position with God, okay? And like how many times in the New Testament, it's like 60 or 80 times or something that the term is used of people that are in covenant relationship with God, okay? We can either be a son of God through adoption or remain a son of disobedience and be eternally separated from him. Choice is ours. Jesus has made the offer and we uh, can accept it or we can reject it. Uh, the warnings of scripture to include the excuse me, the apostolic warnings, which are now recorded in the Bible, are given to direct us away from that which is harmful and which brings about the wrath of God and toward that which is pleasing to him. Now, there's a really good example of that. It's going on right now in the Acts study. I'm typing Acts 13, and so you'll get up to these verses in a couple days. Um, I think I did Acts. Let me see if I can find where I was this morning. It was Acts. Paul is just beginning his address to the Jews in, um, uh, where is he? In Antioch, Pisidia. Um, not Antioch over in Syria, but uh, in Pisidia. And um, he's a Holy Spirit, Salamis, they preached. Okay, they've gone to Paphos. Um, let's see here. Uh, 13, okay, and after the reading. Okay. Uh, verse 15, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, they went into a synagogue as they always did. They sat down, they listened, and what they do in a synagogue, even to this day, is they read a section of the law. Okay, they go to Moses and they read a section of law, and then they read a section of the prophets, and this is, this is what they do. If you go to a synagogue, you will see them do this. Every week, the Bible is divided up into these 52 sections. And so uh, the interesting thing about it is if you look at what Paul cites in his response, you know the exact day of the year that he was in this synagogue. Brilliant, okay? Because you know how they read the same thing every year. And so you know just when he was in this synagogue 2,000 years ago. Okay, um, the guy reads from the Law and Prophets. It doesn't tell what he read, but then he says, um, let me just read you the account. It says, and after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, meaning Paul and the people he's with, and they either identified them by where they chose to sat, which is a section for uh, rabbis, or it could be by the garb they were wearing. They may have put on their, uh, you know, garments. The Pharisees had certain garments. The Levites had certain garments. They may have done that. It doesn't say how they knew, but they addressed them. Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And so they're asking them, would you like to speak on what? And you'll see Jesus did this. When he was in the synagogue, Jesus stood up and read, and then he gave a comment on it, right? Uh, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, he went right to the point. Um, but here it says, Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelled as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Okay, so there you've got this, uh, this beginning. He's starting with the history of Israel, which is a great place to start when you're speaking to a Jew because they already understand the history. Even if they don't know the Bible, they know the history because they do the Passover every year and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, then it says here, verse 18, now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. 
Okay, already he's kind of put up a, a mark against them. He put up with their ways. And there is a word that is used, uh, translated there as put up, that is, uh, it, it means to, you know, to carry somebody uh, in their ways. They're, they're contrary to him and he's putting up with it instead of destroying them. There is a word in the Greek which is one letter different. Okay, and that word would be he bore them. It would be, and so uh, a couple scholars and the Aramaic Bible use that word instead of the word that's in the Greek because there's only one letter difference and they say, well, it was probably uh, an administrative error. And they say the reason why is because Paul would not have started on such a contrary nature with the people of Israel. Really? When in fact, that's exactly what he does through all of the rest of his speaking to them in the synagogue. He tells them about how they wandered away, how they've, They've um, uh, done these things. Uh, the prophets which are read every Sabbath and fulfilled in condemning him. He's talking about condemning Jesus. And he's making a one-to-one -one comparison with the law and the prophets and with Jesus, the fulfillment of them. Okay? And so, of course, he's going to start in a negative way. He's talking about the... What is the next thing he's going to say? In verse um, uh, 21, he goes, And afterward they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Okay, there's two strikes against them in one verse right there. The first strike against them is that they asked for a king, which it, when Samuel was so distressed, what was his answer to the Lord? And what was the Lord's answer back to him? Yeah, he said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And they know this. These people are in the synagogue every week reading these things. They know this. So that's strike one against them. And secondly, he names the king. Saul, meaning this is the guy that got out of God's favor and he had to be replaced with David. So he's starting on a negative connotation. Go back to what we were talking about now in Colossians. It says, um, uh, an apostle is as an apostle, he's showing the importance of setting our minds on the things above. Okay, speaking about Jesus. Without him, there's but one ultimate end for the souls of man. man. We can either be a son of God through adoption or remain a son of disobedience and be eternally separated from him. What is Paul doing here in the book of Acts? He's saying that this is the one provision that God now accepts. The law is fulfilled in this man. The law is annulled, it is obsolete, and it is ended in this man. It is nailed to the cross in this man. It is abolished in this man. The Bible says all of those things about the law of Moses. That is now over. And now we are into something new, the new covenant in the blood of this man. That is what he's telling them. And he is, let me read it again so you can see this. Without him, there's but one ultimate end for the souls of man. Paul is telling them, you have a choice now. You are Israel. You have been offered God's grace by being selected as his people and being the bearer of his name until the coming of the Messiah. Now you have a choice. Okay, and Israel has a choice. They had a choice 2,000 years ago, they turned it down, and Daniel chapter nine shows us that they will be given that opportunity again in the future. In the meantime, they've been blinded the whole time. This is a willful blinding and a turning away from the Lord. Okay, so we can either be a son of God through adoption or remain a son of disobedience and be eternally separated from him. This is what Paul did. This is what Paul did to the Gentiles. This is what every person is expected to do to this day. We are to tell about Jesus and we're to say, you know what? You can go down the path you want. This is your choice. But God has given an offer to you, a sin removal offering through the shedding of the blood of his son. 
And this is what he wants of us. He wants us to accept that by faith. Okay? He doesn't want us to work our way to heaven because we'll never make it. He's in the infinite realm. We're finite and we can work forever and ever and ever and get no closer to God. And if we work for 10 billion years or 20 billion years or off forever because he is infinite, we will never be able to satisfy him on our own merits. Okay? Plus, we already have, as I said, that original sin. So we're already tainted and we can't go back and undo what Adam did. And so we have to make that choice. Please call on Jesus today. All right. Um, uh, the warnings of scripture to include the apostolic warnings, which are now recorded in the Bible, are given to direct us away from that which is harmful. Okay. What is Paul doing? He's saying that this is harmful. This has not served our people for the past 1400 years. Uh, it hasn't worked. And this is harmful. God gave it to us as an example, as a tutor, to lead us to the fulfillment of all of these types and pictures that he's given us in the Old Testament. Did you have something? You're smiling. No? Okay. Um, I do. Yes. Uh, you spoke of now we're in the new covenant. How has the covenant ever changed going back from the beginning of the blood? I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you were saying. The new covenant, Christ's blood, he How shed his blood. be a new covenant? When the covenant has never changed through the blood of the Lamb. Which, which covenant are you referring to? That's nothing has changed. Nothing has changed in the oh, new covenant. Because you said new covenant. Yeah, we're in the new covenant. I'm talking about the Mosaic law. The law of Moses is the old covenant. That's done. It's obsolete. It is fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus made that clear. And so nothing has changed in the well, new covenant. was always there. What was always there? I, I, I read today. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. You know, I have to come in with scripture and give you some notes on that. On what? Before I do that. Before okay. Before I ever speak again, and I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. Yeah. Let, let me just take you. I, I, I think that you're wondering if the Mosaic Law is still in effect, is what you're saying that about. Okay. Yes. Are, are you saying that the Mosaic Law is still in effect? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. Because if, if that's what you are, that's not. Yeah, no. Okay, good. Okay. All right. The Mosaic Law, uh, Hebrews seven eighteen. Hebrews 8.13 and Hebrews 10.9 tells us that the Mosaic law is annulled, it is obsolete, and it is passing away. And then it is nailed to the cross in Christ, and it is abolished. Ephesians, I don't want to give the wrong verse, but in Ephesians it's abolished. So uh, there's an old covenant and there is a new covenant. The new covenant is Christ, and that will last forever. It is an eternal covenant. So there you go. Okay. Um, uh, so where are we? Uh, okay, life application. To ignore the warnings of Scripture can only lead to a sad end. There will be trials and pains in this life. And there will be either judgment and condemnation for non-believers, meaning non-believers in Christ, or a loss of reward for believers. Okay, one of my friends did a weekly commentary today, and he uh, talked about rewards, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and he mentioned um, Romans, I can't remember the exact verses, and then he also mentioned 2 Corinthians 5. What's one other area where the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned? 1 Corinthians, anybody? Chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3, that's right. 1 Corinthians 3, start at verse 9 and go down to about <laughs> verse 11. Okay, so um, uh, you want to try to remember those. That is, um, uh, there will be pains and trials in this life for people that don't call on Christ, and there will either be judgment and condemnation for non-believers or a loss of rewards for believers. Okay, stand firm on the word and do not be deceived. 
by vain things which are contrary to the word of God. Okay, we want to make sure that where we get our theology from is from Scripture. We don't want to insert our emotions. We don't want to insert our opinions or the things that we think. Uh, the one thing that, you know, I understand, and I say this from time to time, some people don't like Billy Graham for whatever reason. They, they don't like him. But one of the things that he always did when he preached, you'll hear him say it at least 10 times every single time he preaches is... The Bible says. He says the Bible says. He's not giving you his opinion. He's giving you... Now, if he's taking the Bible out of context, that's a problem. Or if he's twisting the Bible, as some cults do, that's a problem. I'm not saying he did that. I'm just simply saying that you do not ever want to go to somebody and say, well, I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't make any difference at all on this planet what you think. What matters is what the Bible says in the proper context and then from there, we can uh, go on and we can uh, be sound in our presentation of the gospel to people. We want to make sure that we tell people what the Bible says. How is it that you are saved? Oh, it's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me take you there. Okay, very simple. This is what he asks you to believe. And if you believe that, then you will be saved. Okay, it's not complicated. We take the Bible and we complicate the simple issues and we take the simple issues I'm sorry, yeah, we complicate the simple issues and we take the difficult issues and try to make them so simple that they don't have any relevance at all. So everything okay? Okay. Um, verse 3, 7. Just when they ask questions, they can't hear them. Yeah, yeah. I understand. That's why I was just, yeah, yeah gotcha. They can't hear. I gotcha. Okay. And something of what we said is to read the footnotes. Read the footnotes. Oh. Six. Okay. What I just did, it said is coming and it ends there, but it says some early manuscripts go on to say those who are disobedient. Got you. And this one doesn't have it. It goes from 211, 218, 220, and it never mentions 36. Huh. So okay. I was wondering why there was a difference. Go ahead. Okay. Seven. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Okay. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Mm -hmm. So basically the same thing. Okay. The words in which are referring to these things of verse 6. So we'll read it again and you'll see that. Because of these things... The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which, meaning these things, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So if you were saved at a certain point in your life, and you can go back and you can say, before that point in my life, I used to do those things, okay? And maybe you still do. Some people are living for the flesh, and this is what Paul is warning against as well, while having been saved by Jesus. And that's where the rewards and losses come in. Okay, so, uh, but the main thing is that when you were doing those things before you came to Christ, you had no pardon for those sins. He is the pardon for the sins committed in that way. Okay, so we have been told in verse, uh, oh yes, the words in which are referring to these things of verse 6. That in turn is referring to the list of things from verse 5. And we'll go back there and read them right out of the word. It says, therefore, put to death your members... Okay, now he's telling them to put to death their members. What does that mean? That your flesh. Your flesh and you are still quite probably doing these things. Okay? He's not saying that you can't be saved if you do these things. He's saying that if you're doing these things, put them to death. Everybody got that? Because yeah. this is a point of theology that way too many people don't get. Oh, you can't be saved if. I 
How are you saved? You're saved by the gospel, by grace, okay? So uh, you want to make sure that when you tell somebody, well, you can't be saved because, and if they don't present the gospel, then it has nothing to do with their salvation. It has to do with their standing before the Lord in regards to rewards and losses. Yes, yeah, I'm ahead. just saying how this this um, particular uh, translation, it, it the way it reads in 5 is this, is put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Meaning, you still have your earthly That's nature. That's right. You're still in that boat. And I know that you're going to be wrestling with it, which is probably one of my questions for God when I do see him is like, okay, you saved me, and then you left me in that. that well, Paul that talks set. about that in Romans 7. He's mm-hmm. talking about the war that's going on in his, his life. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the uh, but those things are, and uh, it's, uh, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay? Um, and at any given time in your life, you could probably say, yeah, I've done that. You know, I'm talking about since you were saved. Um, any one of these things. We all go through something in our minds or in our lives that uh, we uh, are not perfect with. And that's why Paul says, put them to death. Uh, Not you should have, because now you've lost your salvation. Paul doesn't do that. He never has anywhere in his writings, okay? Um, So, you know, the more I think about the wonderful nature of God's salvation, the more difficult it is for me to understand people that do not get eternal salvation okay Uh, there it is he's hanging on the cross he's done everything necessary to reconcile you to God but you still need to do things after you're saved or you're going to be unsaved and that means that what he's doing right now really isn't sufficient you see the problem there It's, it's a giant problem because it is doesn't matter at what point in your walk with the Lord, I'm saved today or whenever, 50 years ago, if you do this thing and you can lose your salvation, it means that what he did was insufficient for you. And the clearly grace. he never saw it coming. And he, he didn't would, see it coming. That's right. God, yeah, and he wouldn't have saved you in the first place. So mm-hmm. uh, the whole issue of losing your salvation is one that is not well thought out by right. people. Okay, and it's very damaging to what Christ did in many ways. So uh, I'm sorry, Paul doesn't speak of the loss of salvation and the verses that are used by people in that uh, manner are taken out of their proper context. But we'll go on. Um, Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are the things in verse 5, these things, and then what Paul says right now in verse uh, 7, in which, okay, he's making these three verses tied together in which Paul notes that his readers and certainly any who have come to Christ since his letter once walked in them. Now the word once walked, am I going to explain it here? Uh, The word walk in the Bible is your conduct. It is your manner of life. It is what you are doing. My walk right now isn't right with the Lord. You hear people say that all the time. There you go. We're all one of them them in one way or another at one time or another in which you once walked or which you are walking. My walk with the Lord is really good this week. I'm so happy I haven't done this or I haven't done that, right? Okay, that is your your conduct of life. life. That That is is who you you are are and it is what you are doing, okay? Uh, You can bring back an old walk. You can, uh, you know, forever put away a certain walk, okay? But these things, that, that is just what it's speaking of. Your walk is your conduct. Okay, so uh, in which you once walked in them, it was their very conduct of life. 
okay? That's what he's saying. It wasn't just that you, you know, you're a Christian and you're walking, you know, not with the Lord right now. This is their actual, this is their existence. This is how they lived. It is what they focused on. It is what they pursued in their life, okay? That is what Paul is speaking about there. And it was for this reason that the wrath of God would have come upon them, okay? And obviously, like I said, we're all separated already from God from the moment we're conceived. Go back and read it, Psalm 51.5. I might have said 51.6 earlier. Anyway, 51.5, surely I was sinful from birth, even from my mother's womb, okay? Uh, That's a misquote, but that's basically what it says. Okay, so um, uh, it's in us. The infection is in there. But we can, as people you know, not live that way and not be saved. I mean, there are people all over the world that live pretty moral lives. Actually, I'd say that there are people in the world that live more lives that are more moral than a lot of Christians I know, okay? But their attitude about God and their attitude about uh, him is not properly aligned. And the reason why is I'm a moral person. I'm a lot moral than those Christians over there. And therefore he is now thinking that he has earned his place before God his standing before God. And so that is probably a worse position to be in than a person that's laying in a gutter over there that's got a needle hanging out of his arm and says, you know, I know I'm not doing the right thing with my life. I just don't know what to do about it, okay? So we have to consider these things. What is the standing of a person? Even if he's living not in any of these ways that Paul's speaking about, he's just giving a general brushstroke of humanity. He's living a very moral, upright life, okay? that guy is probably pretty proud of himself and he is actually at enmity with God, not because he doesn't want to be a moral person, but because he thinks he is a moral person when he's not, okay? So um, you have to consider those things and when people say, that's one of the things you'll hear when you're witnessing to people is, uh, you know, why should, I'll ask them different ways, just depends on who I'm talking to and and uh, what the surrounding circumstances are. But quite often I'll say, you know, why, sh- why should God allow you into heaven? Well, and one of the very first things almost every person will say is, well, I, because I. The word I gets into the equation immediately. And very rarely, but I have heard it, I don't think God should let me into heaven. I have heard people say that, but it's uh, a very rare thing. Usually people say, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Or, you know, I've done a lot of good things. Man, that's a problem. And you have to break through that to let them understand that it doesn't matter how good you think you are. In relation to God, you are infinitely fallen. Now let's deal with that on the level that God has provided. Let's understand who Jesus is, okay? Um, uh, They walked in those things, his readers, and certainly any who have come to Christ since his letter once walked in them. That was their conduct of life. He then finishes up the verse with, when you lived in them. He's speaking about the believers when they lived under that system of life, okay? The verb is in the imperfect tense, and thus it more accurately reads, reads, excuse me, it more accurately reads, when you were living in them. That was their conduct of life. That was their walk in this life and they were just going on in that way. It was imperfect, okay? It's ongoing. Whereas a perfect thing would be you were there and you are there, whatever. It's it's uh, more definitive. An imperfect verb just gives a sense of an ongoing thing. They're walking these things 
literally surrounded them. It's just the life that they lived. It was as if these sins were the very air that they breathed. However, they had moved to Christ, and so Paul exhorted them to put these things to death rather than living in them. Okay, and once again, we know that the analysis that was given a minute ago is true is that some of these people may still be living in them. And when he says, put them to death, he's talking about people that are saved and that are still maybe doing these things. And how do we know that? Because we can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which I love to bring up from time to time, is the guy that is saved, according to Paul, and yet he's doing something worse than the pagans, okay? And he tells the church to expel the man. Get him out because he will infect the church with these things. People that come into the church that are not saved will never be saved. And the people that are in the church that are saved will start doing these things that are contrary to holy living. Okay, and then what is the thing he says? I love to read these verses because it, it is just such a marvelous testament to the eternal salvation of God. He says right here, he says it again and again and again, um, in his words, but he says in this particular passage, deliver such a one doing these horrible things, saved, but doing bad things, deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Exactly what he was talking about a minute ago in Colossians, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, get him out of the congregation. He's just infecting the congregation. And he, if he is doing these things, I don't care what it is. He's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict. He's um, uh, having, uh, you know, an affair with his um, uh, father's wife. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's very short. It's about, it takes you about two minutes to read it. Um, yeah, it's a very short chapter. He um, uh, is, um, kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, he... Uh, Oh, yeah, he's having his father's wife. Doesn't matter what the sin is. He's got some sin in his life. He's doing something contrary to the nature of God. And when he says, hand a man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, it means that that thing that he is doing will be his end. It will be the undoing of him in this physical body. But Paul says that's better than having him stay in the congregation. And so uh, if he wants to continue doing these things, he's going to be saved. Paul says it right there in that verse. Okay, but if he wants to do these things, he's an alcoholic, he's just going to blow his liver out. He's a drug addict, he's going to end up whatever, you know, I don't overdose. know all the, uh, yeah, overdose, whatever, all kinds of things. Again, they've got, who was it that was talking to me about the gator, um, was that you? No, the gator drug that, uh, was that you? Some, cro crocodile. Okay, yes. crocodile. They got a drug out now. Crocodile. Okay, crocodile. It's a new drug or a drug that's out there now, and people are taking it, and it literally rots your skin and your flesh off your body. And yet people are doing it. Okay, so that is what Paul is speaking of. If a saved believer gets into that, you talk about the destruction of the flesh, but you've got him out of the congregation. He's not lost his salvation, but his flesh will be destroyed. Okay, crocodile. Never heard of it until last. Uh, Saturday, but uh, apparently it's something new. You want to get stoned and have your flesh come off of you, go get some crocodile. I mean, I'm coming out of the Ukraine. Coming out of the Ukraine, he says. Okay. So, um, so I've had that conversation with some people who believe that you can lose your salvation. Right. And they'll say, well, may is, well, he may 
No, and it's like okay, so then you may have salvation, you may have uh, peace, you may have yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that that have may, and it's like that you may have it. This is you. This that's is right. You. It's it's an affirmative statement. Right. It's, it's not like, something it's not that's like iffy. Yeah, like it, it's, the if in Colossians is not an if that may be. It's an if that I'm proposing to you. Okay, and it's the same thing there. That's right, not right. a conditional statement. It's, People it's, just love to take words that they don't understand the context. And they twist it. And right. so, you know, there's a point where arguing with people about that just gets just ridiculous. Like, They're just, they, they get ridiculous. But um, let me see, where were we? We're still in 3-7? Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, they moved from Christ, and so Paul exhorted them to put these things to death rather than living in them. As Christ died for our sins, we are to die for sin, die to sin, and live for Christ. That's what we've been asked to do. We've been asked to turn our lives around, to get on the right path, and to pursue holiness. And when we don't, we are the ones that will suffer. Okay. That's just how the nature of sin is. Okay. Um, and you know, people talk about uh, sin is kind of like the description of uh, evil. It's kind of the same thing. What is evil? Okay. Evil really isn't a thing. It's the lack of a good thing. Okay. God's goodness allows no evil. But if there's evil in the world, that means that the world is lacking God's goodness okay this is the kind of thing that we need to remember and we need to understand okay uh, sin is an infection it is something that causes a degradation in us all right take care life application amen we sure do hope she's all right there I'm not quite sure what she was thinking but uh, we all need God well that's why we're here we're here to learn the Bible and then be able to tell people about God so Life application. Uh, though there are many trials in this life and temptations abound around us, we should endeavor to live holy lives. Let us stand firm in the fellowship of believers, stay close to the word of God, and not give the devil an inch. It is tough, but through Christ we can prevail over these things. Okay, take you right back to what we talked about in the, uh, the one year Christian history book. And John Newton said, I wonder if the things I've been telling the people in the pulpit are things that I am living out in my life, or can I bear the things that I've exhorted them? Somebody, you know, he probably did 150 uh, funerals, okay? I'm a pastor, and you, uh, you have somebody over in the third pew that comes every week, and his wife died. Now, he's got to give this exhortation to somebody and say, you know, I, I, you have the hope of Christ in you. Okay, and I want you to feel comforted in that. Now he's facing the demise of his own life, and he's got to say, do I really believe what I've been telling these people all along? Well, let me read you what I just read you again. Uh, let us stand firm in the fellowship of believers. Stay close to the word of God and not give the devil an inch. Now I'm telling you these things, and I type this. Okay, because I believe that this is the way that we're supposed to live. It is tough, but through Christ we can prevail over these things. Well, I guarantee you, if you ask my wife, if I'm always living that out, she will tell you it's not true. And, yeah, I was just going to say, the people at Mission Work will be able to tell you that as well. Okay? I, I am telling you these things because I believe this is right. I believe this is the proper analysis of this verse. Okay? It doesn't mean that I actually am able to fulfill what I have said. Okay, and this is something I want you to remember. I'm not just saying this about myself. 
in humility. I'm saying it because when you listen to any preacher that speaks this way, that preacher deals with the exact same issues that you as a person are dealing with right now. Okay, it may not be the same as that person, but it will be the same as that person. There's only so many issues you're gonna find in the human condition. And I guarantee you that that preacher, if he's doing a good job in exhorting his people, is also trying to exhort himself while he's doing that, all right? It's not easy in this life. We all face temptations, we all face uh, our earthly nature. And so, once again, I, I, I wanna say this more often is that when I read you something, you are not to say, well, Charlie is able to do it, and therefore, why can't I do it? Because Charlie does not always do it, okay? Just be sure of that, and I'm giving you this instruction because this is what you should attain to. Right. You should and, and do your best to that, attain to it. That goes back to what I said earlier. It's like, you know, it's like you're left here a believer, a saved believer, and yes. you're in this thing. And, the, but, as, what does Chris call it? Sin sack. The sin sack. Right. We're living in the sin sack. But, you know, it's like you, you would never be convincing to tell somebody else about the joy of salvation were you not in that sense. Well, that's, that's right. That's, that's exactly that's, right. The very fact that we can have the joy of salvation in this sensac makes it all the more wonderful. Mm -hmm. And once again, it makes it all the more curious to me why somebody would believe that you could lose that joy right. of salvation. And I'm not talking about losing the joy of salvation in your person. I'm okay. talking about in your existence, the existence of the joy of salvation. Because there are times where you may be so beat up from the world that you don't have any joy in your heart at all. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking right, right. about the hoped for joy of mm -hmm. salvation, which doesn't matter how bad it gets, you will still have that if you truly believe the message of Jesus. Anyway, um, there you go with that. Uh, we're in 3.8 now. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Okay, tough one, tough one. Ouch, oh, difficult, ooh, oh. Uh, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Okay, they're all tough. At one point or another in your life, you're gonna face one or two or three or all of those, okay? I understand that. That's why Paul is writing this to you. And that's why Paul certainly went through the same struggles mm -hmm. while he's writing with it. And he's saying, I am trying to attain this and I want my people to strive for this as well. Paul was not the, you know, you read these commentaries sometimes from especially the uh, the European, uh, the UK, and they're from the 17 and 1800s, and they make the apostles out to be so ultra holy that they never did anything wrong in their life, and they just lived. They, they like walked above the ground after they met Jesus, and we're all trying to attain to what they attained, and they're trying to attain what Jesus attained. It didn't work that way. They were just fallen people. Paul and Barnabas got into arguments. Okay. Paul and Peter got into a division over doctrine. They were just regular people, okay? They were not these super holy people. Uh, for, for Peter to have seen the ministry of Jesus and then to have seen him hanged on a tree and die and then to have seen Jesus alive and not just, you know, it wasn't like he was, oh, we got to get him to the hospital really quickly because, you know, he's got all these wounds on his body and he can't walk himself because his feet were pierced and he's got infection. There wasn't any of that on the third day. There was none of that. Peter saw Jesus alive, okay? And then he talked with him for 40 days or so and then they watched him. They watched him on the Mount of Olives ascend. 
and he still fell back on the law. Hmm. Now that tells you, if Peter can do that, the guy that had spent all of this time and all of this life with Jesus, even being told how he himself was going to die, okay, he knows all of these things, and yet he still wasn't strong enough in his person to defend the grace of Jesus Christ, okay? That ought to tell you that you and me, when we suffer with our own failings, don't have to look at them and say, why can't I be like them? You are like them, okay? Um, 3.8, we have been told in verse 3.2 that we are to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. In order to accomplish this, Paul now gives exhortations which will help make this possible. The list is very similar to that given in Ephesians 4.31. I mentioned this before. If you were to take Ephesians 4 and you were to follow along, you're going to see again and again and again some uh, parallels to this. But anyway, um, he says uh, first, But now you yourselves are to put off all these. As we are in Christ, God looks at us and he sees him. This, Thank goodness that this is what God sees when he sees us. He doesn't look at us and say, Oh, I see Charlie in all of his faults. He couldn't do that. He's holy. He cannot do that. When he looks at Charlie Garrett, he sees me through the covering of Christ. Okay? The white garments of righteousness have been bestowed, believe it or not, even on me. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing to think about it. Okay? That's what Jesus is speaking about in Revelation 2 or 3. He's, you know... Uh, purchasing the uh, the garments of righteousness. I, I, I don't want to even misquote it because, and I'm going to unless I find it. Um, uh, get for yourself garments, uh, white garments. Uh, oh, I turned back to Peter. I was in Revelation. I went too far. So give me a second here. It's in Revelation uh, 2 or 3. And uh, it, uh, it's one of the letters. And uh, let, it'll take just a second to find this. Um, uh, second death. 318? Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, it could be. I've just got to find the white garments that he's speaking of. There's the hidden manna, and uh, what's that? If you see the word white garments, oh, I'm in two eighteen. Well, that's why I couldn't find it. I got turned to Okay, three eight. Thank you. Okay, three eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Okay, those things are already given to people that are saved. He's speaking to the people in this church that have not come to Christ. They're in this, this weak church and uh, he's, he, they're lukewarm. They haven't, it doesn't mean the whole church. It means some of the people in there probably were saved and some aren't and you got this, this, this body that's just kind of lagging along. But I read that again, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. Those white garments are the covering of Christ. It's symbolism that we're being given here. Christ didn't come up to me the day I called on him and here, I want you to put these on. Okay, that's not what's happening. This is symbolism that he is using. He's showing, and it goes all the way back to Leviticus. I mean, you look at the priests, the ones that are below Aaron. Aaron is uh, he's a representative of Jesus. He is the, the mediator to God on earth. That's Aaron. He's typical of Jesus. And then you've got these priests that are below him, and he says, give them white garments, and he describes them perfectly. And these are people that are, are 
emblematic of the righteousness of Christ. They're wearing these white garments and these white hats and all this kind of stuff. Okay, and that is what we are in Christ. We are those priests. And Paul says that the sharing of the, the ministry of the gospel is a priestly ministry. Okay, it's a priestly service. And so when you go out and you tell people about Jesus, you are performing a priestly service. Okay, this symbolism doesn't belong to the Jews. This symbolism belongs to Jesus and the people that are in Jesus. So those white garments that we have, that we have from Christ are what God sees. He sees Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Okay, now, once again, we have to be judged for the things we've done in this body. That's what the judgment seat of uh, Christ is for. Okay, and that is coming. But our our sin nature is now ended, okay? It's ended. And this is what people need to remember. Once again, now, it, we're talking about eternal salvation. If you think through the symbolism, if I am in Christ and God sees me because of Christ's righteousness, then you tell me what it is that makes me suddenly not be in Christ. It's not written in Scripture. And if right. it's not written in Scripture, then there is nothing that we need to worry about, okay? That's how it is. We are in Christ. And as I read from Timothy last week, that poetic section in the middle, he cannot deny himself. Okay, if you deny him, he cannot deny himself because, however it was worded, all right, he's not going to do that. We are in him. We have not denied him. We have called on him. And later, if we have some crazy thing go through our mind, God is not going to impute that to us. All right, because Christ cannot deny himself. And we are in Christ. All right, um, we'll go on. Uh, we're in 3.8. Is that right? Yes. Um, set your things on mind above, your mind on things above. Paul now gives exhortations. Uh, Ephesians 31. Okay, he begins with anger. I better go back. Yeah, as we are in Christ, God looks at us and sees him, sees Christ. Okay, that's where I stopped. We are adorned with his garments of righteousness. Because of this, we are to put off things which are unbecoming of this most favorable garment of honor. Now think about it. Here we are, we're given Christ's righteousness, and then we go out and we live in a bad way. All right? That's putting on the old garment again. And he's saying, don't do that. Put that off and leave it off. Okay? Once again, it's our choice. It is our walk before the Lord. He's done the saving. Now we have to do the living in that salvation. He's asking us not to act that way. We're to act in a way that is right. Okay, he begins with anger. It comes from a word indicating to swell. It proceeds from, this is helps word studies. It proceeds from an internal disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal exposure. For example, solidifying what the beholder considers wrong. And then he puts in parentheses unjust or evil. Okay, so anger. This is something that we don't want to live in. We don't want to have that. We want to put that off, okay? Um, don't want to swell. We don't want to be contrary to God. Next one is wrath, okay? This is a word which signifies getting heated up or breathing violently, okay? Um, I was talking to a friend today, and he was talking about uh, having a business deal with somebody, and he was really upset at him, and he wrote a long email to these people, and he was one tired and two he was uh, just a little worn out from the day and it was the end of the day he was furious at this uh, 
uh, proposition that had been sent forth to him. And so he stopped and he didn't send the email. Then he slept it overnight and then he thought about it and he decided that he would handle it in a different way. But uh, he, I, I think he agreed with the original email, but he thought it would be better to handle it in a different way. Okay, wrath. This is a word which signifies getting heated up. He was probably a little miffed at these people and uh, he may have been huffing and puffing a little bit. But anyway, it is a passion-driven behavior. Uh, if you're sending an email and you're angry, it's probably best not to send that email, okay? I, I, as a matter of fact, um, when I was talking to my friend about this, I said, I've lost friends over that because I was upset and I sent an email and, it, it, you know, and, and one thing about emails is it doesn't matter even if it's the happiest email in the world, emotions do not travel through email. And so if your words are not proper, it doesn't matter if you were the happiest guy in the world and saying wonderful things, they may take it wrong. So if you got an important issue, it's best to not send things by email, okay? Unless your friends just know you. I mean, most people know that I usually don't say anything serious. I'm, I'm, I'm joke a lot. And, or now we can yeah. use AI to remove all emotions. Yes, he's got an AI program which will remove <laughs> remove everything that may be emotional and then <laughs> very interesting. Uh, yeah. Sarcasm. Yeah, yeah, and it will insert sarcasm. <laughs> if you want to have a sarcastic email, you and say to this AI boy, program, I would that. like you to add sarcasm into this and it will type it up and it's very good. This is a great program. It's it, No, I don't need it. No. I'm already sarcastic <laughs> enough. Yeah. But, you know, that's people, it takes people a while, but once they know how I am, they, they're like, oh, I get it. But there are times where we'll be in the projects with somebody that's never walked with us before, and I'll hear him say, he's kidding. <laughs> I'm not, I, when I'm joking with Jody or with Rick or somebody, people might not get that, but we're just having fun. I'm not a very serious person most of the time. I, I anyway. had to say that last Saturday. Oh, that was you that said it. I, I knew somebody said it last week. He's, yeah. he's just joshing. Yeah, Charlie's just joshing. Yeah, we're, we're having fun out here. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, it, it, despite being a wonderful thing we do every week, it is it got long times of boredom because we walk a lot, and then there's there's not a lot to keep your mind going, and we'll talk about things. And but I I don't know. I just it's it's one of those things that my disposition is to make light of everything because and if I didn't, there's a lot of things in the projects that'll just they'll wear you out. They're just, they'll bring you down, and I, I just want to not have that, you know. It's like after, I, I know I said this before, but after uh, every day I spend an hour to an hour and a half getting articles together for the website, the CG report, and then uh, I save the ones that I think are relevant for the weekly report that I do on Sunday. And every single day after I've done that, I have to go lie down and get all of that out of my head. Every single day, because it's, uh, I had another friend, same friend, but another uh, circumstance today where um, he said he has not gone to the CG report for a while. He, it's the only news service he really reads. And he says he hasn't gone there for a while and uh, shame on him. But um, uh, it, when people click on the CG report every day, it helps with the numbers going up in the ratings. Anyway, um, uh, so, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, he said, it's only been like a week or two. I can't remember the amount of days that he said, but he said, I can't believe. Maybe it was longer. Maybe it was a full month. However long it's been, he said, I can't believe how bad the news is in the world. Now, multiply that times a billion things I don't include that I read because they're so perverse. They're so disgusting. They're so, so emotionally damaging that I wouldn't even dare put it on the website, okay? Uh, now think of that, and 
every single day. I have to find articles and it is debilitating. I don't want to have that in my head, so I want to make light of this world. Um, that's my way. So backwash the filter. Backwash the filter, which uh, it's funny you say that at the uh, at the uh, wastewater plant. You know, we had the little water filters because we would have just, we'd use reused water for stuff and we'd have uh, water filters that you'd have to backwash. Well, we also had these giant filters. They process like uh, 200,000 gallons a day each and we would backwash those every day. And you talk about the filth that would just billow out of those things. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's like your mind. Think of it, that's like your mind. All this junk coming in and you've got to back all of that out and send it back somewhere else to be processed again. It's a very good example. Wow. I'm not even in waste. Well, let me tell you, I love the job. I literally love the job. I, I, I can't think of anything that I would rather do if I wasn't preaching than that. I mean, you know, I could work at Publix and whatever. I'd be the guy that gets the carts and brings them into the store, whatever. But I, 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 I don't ever want to not preach. This is what I want to do with my life. But if I didn't preach, I would love love to go back into wastewater. It's just such an interesting field and uh, anybody that's young and is looking to get ahead, uh, it's one place that you can it, get it. You're going to get pay there. One, it's usually municipalities, so the money always comes in. They're going to tax you to death to make sure they can pay their bills, okay? And then secondly, there's no end to wastewater, okay? There's no end to it. So if you want a job with good security, with good benefits, and that will always challenge you, because you'll, you'll be doing uh, uh, chemical analyses, you'll be yeah. doing biological stuff, you'll be doing mathematics. Yes. I mean, oh, I loved it, I, I loved it. Anyway, okay, we'll go on. Uh, Rath, the next one he notes is malice, okay? The, this describes the underlying attitude of evil, okay? It is inherent evil which is present. Now, once again, remember when I said a few minutes ago, evil is not really a thing. I'm using something so that you can understand it. Evil is the absence of a good thing. So if I say evil is present, it means that there is an absence of good in this attitude. There's an absence of good in this person as he does these things. Okay. Car. Yeah, like the car. You've got the rust. Well, that hole isn't anything. It's an absence of what should be there. The metal should be there and it should be painted and it should be good but the rust has taken it out and now that that's evil. That is something that is not the way it should be, okay? So think of that when I'm reading this. It describes the underlying attitude of evil. It is inherent evil which is present, even if it is not seen in an outward expression, okay? Because you can have malice. Uh, anytime you see a movie with the word malice in the title, it's probably gonna be a pretty good movie. I just, I, I, I've come to that conclusion. I will say that I watched a movie uh, uh, last week. I'm not gonna say which one, but it may have been the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It had that guy that I don't like anymore, uh, Dwayne Johnson, the big guy. Uh, the, Rock. the Rock, yeah, okay, he was in it. And it was such a stupid movie. I just, I was clicking through, I'm waiting for Hidako to cook and I started watching it and so I'm committed. So the next day I watched another 15 minutes and the next day I watched, and by the time I got done, I thought that was a waste hour and a half. It was stupid. Anyway, Black um, Adam. what? Black Adam. No, no, no not that. It was, um, I, let me see if I can think of the name of it. He uh, was. So we can all watch. <laughs> so we can all watch it. It had the word, it had the word red in the title, red something. Um, it was, the, the word red was in the title. And it was red it, malice. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, if it was malice, it would have been a good movie. Anyway, it red, would. What? Red notice. Red notice. Yeah. That was it. It was 
Don't watch that movie. It was it was so stupid. Anyway, um, this describes the underlying attitude of evil. Okay, going on. Those evil things which we harbor even inside need to be quenched as we walk in newness of life in the spirit. Okay, no malice. Paul says no malice. Malice is, uh, it's that intentional thing that we want to destroy somebody else or that uh, it, there's just this underlying wickedness in our hearts and minds and it may be expressed in our actions, okay? Um, I think one of them that uh, I watched Malice Aforethought, Malice Something, a movie, and it was a doctor that was doing bad things. It was years ago, I don't remember. But uh, anyway, Malice, okay? Uh, notice, we did watch it. It's an amazing movie. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah, we loved it. You did? You should watch it. They watched, it was horrible. That was, that was. It had a great ending. No. There was theft, there was uh, adventure. There it was, was so stupid. It was, uh, it was like. It was a little silly. It, it was, it was. It was not what you would. It, it, it might have. Let, let's go on. I hated that movie. It was so dumb. Anyway, perfect. Uh, following following that is blasphemy. This is the Greek word blasphemia. Blasphemia. I'm sorry. Yes, blasphemia. It indicates abusive language, and thus blasphemy. It switches right for wrong wrong for right, like taking a really bad movie and saying it was good, okay? For example, it calls what God disapproves right, which exchanges the truth of God for a lie. Well, that's exactly what Isaiah speaks about, those who take uh, salt for uh, sweet and sweet for salt and uh, uh, right for, um, uh, where is it? Come on, it's Isaiah 1... No, Isaiah 6. Anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter, and light for dark. And Anyway, that, that would be basically what this is. Taking right for wrong, wrong for right. And uh, Paul then warns against filthy language. This is the last of this category. The word, I can't believe you like that movie. I mean, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad if you're looking at a movie just to watch something. Okay, that's fine. But, yeah, but when no. you watch for 15 minutes, notice the first shot in the movie is a camera in the sky and it goes all the way to the guy's face through streets. It is a marvel yeah. of cinema. Well, that's fine. The cinematography yeah. is fine, but the acting was so dumb. And it was like a cheesy knock knockoff of other movies. It just yeah, I don't remember the story or the actors. Yeah, well, there you go. I just remember the cinematography. Okay, well, that's fine. You like cinematography. That means nothing to me if the movie is no good. And it was so dumb. Anyway. Um, filthy, we got to get into filthy language here. Uh, yeah, we got. Seems time. like we're headed that way. Yeah, uh, the word he uses is unique to scripture right here. It's not used anywhere else. It is more than filthy speech and vile communication, but it includes foul-mouthed abuse. Such speech, speech is to be put out of our mouths. And you know what? I hate to say it, but if you go online and you watch some of these people, that the cop comes up and knocks on the door. And you know your your child was disobedient in school today, and blah blah. And the parent comes out and is just verbally, filthily abusing these cops. And they stand there, and they take it. You know, if it was me, I, I would never be a good policeman. <laughs> I can tell you that right now, I would not take that kind of stuff. You know, you're you're the authority. Your child, the one that you have been instructing, hasn't been doing what it's supposed to be doing, and now you're attacking me. You know, with this. And it's just... Uh, it explains just, everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it explains everything. That's right. But this is the world that we live in. And Paul says that Christians are not to act that way. Okay, life application. And we can do one more. I know we can get it done in 10 minutes. So life application. It is unbecoming 
of one clothed in Christ to wear garments of indecency. So let us strive to emulate the Lord and not be likened to the fallen, depraved world around us. Once again, you get yourself in a situation, and I did not watch it, okay, but I saw a video on the link and I didn't have time to watch it, but uh, it said two guys are brawling in a parking lot and uh, uh, then they immediately make up. And I could just see it, so I didn't watch it. These two guys are just, they're fighting, and the next thing you know, they realize they're not doing the right thing, and they stop and they hug each other. Mm-hmm. I got the, the still photos of it. I got enough from that. I didn't need to watch the video, okay? But here they are, they're grabbing each other and doing this, and, you know, one of them's on the ground in the next photo, and the next one, they're hugging each other. And somebody caught it on camera, okay? Think of yourself, and you're fighting against Christ, doing these things you shouldn't be doing. And you stop and you say, I, I'm not doing the right thing. And you go over to Jesus, and he gives you a hug, and you give him a hug. And it's symbolism, okay? I don't mean that literally, okay? Because I can see somebody saying that. But um, I'm talking symbolism. You need to live the way that Christ would want you to, okay? Not be brawling against him, all right? And that's what we do too often. Okay, 3-9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Okay, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, which is probably the way the Greek reads it. That would be my guess, but I don't remember. Okay, these words here are close to Ephesians 4.22. As I said, we're going to see a lot of these parallels in these books. It's like Paul was saying, you know, I'm going to refer to my uh, epistle in Ephesians because I want to repeat that for the people in Colossae. Okay, 4.22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let us speak, uh, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, so you can see the similarity there that Paul is trying to convey. He's more concise in, in the Colossians, though. Um, Paul is consistent in his words to his readers. Though the law is annulled in Christ, there are precepts which are repeated from the law, which we are asked to comply with. This is because committing such offenses is contrary to our new life in Christ. Okay? One of God's attributes is that of truthfulness. God is truth. We don't need to say, well, God is truthful. God is truth. There is no untruthfulness in him. There is no deviating from anything which is truth. God is truth, okay? It doesn't matter which way you stand and look at God. What angle you're at, you will always behold truth, okay? It's one of his essential attributes. There are some that people debate over, okay? But you could come down to probably five to seven essential attributes that are not debatable. God is love. God is just. God is merciful. God is righteous. God is graceful. God is truth, okay? And a couple others that you could come up with, and then some will be debated on the outside. Well, we, you know, that's kind of like uh, just another way of rewording this one or whatever, okay? But there are certain attributes God is. He is truth, okay? So, um, Uh, One of God's attributes is that of truthfulness. As we are to emulate him, we are to be truthful in all we say. The old man has been put off. Now, I said something in a sermon which I completely still agree with, okay? When we were talking about 
um, the Gibeonites, and when we talked about um, Rahab the harlot, they both did not tell the truth. truth, and yet they were not chastised for that. They took a moral precept, they weighed out on the balances a moral precept, and they said, I should do this rather than this. This is the right thing, even though it's not truthful, okay? And as I said, when I closed that up, Corey Ten Boom would agree with that. She did not tell the truth, but she saved people's lives in the process of her not telling the truth. So there are moral decisions that we have to make. God doesn't have to make those decisions. He is truth. There's no untruthfulness in him. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where moral decisions have to be weighed out. Okay, And one of the things that we do when we weigh out these uh, decisions is make the right moral decision. What is it that will ultimately be the most godly decision? And we have to do that because, as I said, we are in a fallen world. Okay, So uh, I agree with that. I will not disagree with that in the future because it is the moral aspect that we have to focus on. Okay, But when we can be truthful, we should be truthful. Okay, as we are to emulate him, we are to be truthful in all we say. The old man has been put off. In the Greek, it is an aorist verb. There's a set time when this occurred. As the old man is gone and we are in Christ, it logically follows that we are saved one time for all time. And this will be, this will continue to be seen in the next verses. Okay, therefore, going back and doing things which are past cannot result in a lack of salvation but they can affect us negatively nonetheless, okay? If I'm not truthful about a particular issue, I may end up in jail, okay? Get charged with a federal crime for lying on a document of whatever, okay? That can happen, and that will affect us. We can lose friendships, we can lose fellowship, we can be imprisoned, or we can be killed for doing wrong. And further, we will certainly lose eternal rewards for such things, okay? Therefore, let us strive to emulate the Lord in all ways and be pleasing to God as we live out this life in Christ. Okay, that is what we should be doing, pursuing Christ, following after Christ, and thinking what is the thing that would be most morally proper in this difficult circumstance. Okay, I'm facing these things. I'm in a world where there is wickedness around me and I have to decide what to do. And I know that no matter which decision I make, it is going to have to be a decision which will glorify God. And it may be contrary to something that we actually uh, think is right and wrong. How y'all doing there? Doing We're just finishing up. We're going to be done. And uh, you, you got here late, but that's okay. We'll have time for a hug. Uh, life application. If we think lying will somehow get us ahead in life or get us out of some type of fix we are in, we are making a wrong judgment about the action. Now, once again, that's based on a situation where we can be truthful, okay, where we can be, all right? Instead, we should consider what we say from the heavenly, not the earthly perspective. In doing so, we will benefit from what that, from that which is truly of value, okay? That's the main thing we need to do is when we can tell the truth, when it will not cause something more harmful in the other way, once again, Rahab the harlot, the Gibeonites, Corey Ten Boom, they made moral decisions that necessitated something other than that. But when we can tell the truth and it's not going to be harmful to do otherwise, we need to tell it the truth. It always boils down to motive. 
Motive. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, but we need to remember the old saying that the end does not justify no. the means. Ever. Okay. And so um, uh, quite often people will say, well, I'm going to get people saved. And so blah, blah, blah. I'm going to violate scripture in order to get people saved. Okay. Uh, the end does not justify the means there. That person will get this many rewards. I don't care if she uh, preached to 450 people and all of them were saved. You cannot be rewarded for being disobedient to the word of God. It's not something that uh, that is not in the nature of Christ. So we need to be uh, very careful about that and uh, hold fast to what the word says concerning those type of things. Anyway, we'll go ahead and close because we have one minute left. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We, th we didn't pray on the way in, Lord. No. And uh, so uh, once again, we're fallen and we forget things, but we certainly lift up Wayne and the loss of his daughter. And uh, Lord, we would just ask that you would give him comfort in his time of affliction and that you would uh, bless him and those around him uh, as they go through this difficult time in their lives. And Lord, we uh, also uh, thank you for every good blessing that you've blessed us with. We thank you for the chance to have met here tonight and to uh, get into your word a little bit. And we thank you for the fellowship that we have with here at the church and with other believers. And uh, Lord, I'm also very thankful that uh, nobody was hurt taking down that tree today at the house. And uh, please bless the man that did that work and uh, uh, keep him safe as he endeavors to continue glorifying you through his Christian faith. And Lord, we uh, love you, we praise you, and we exalt you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What's that? He, he uh, emailed and he says he'll have to tell me later why he couldn't come. So um, let's see. Oh, I got to back this up and then we got to say goodbye to the folks.